Gather your geek. It's time to head out for our road trip across America that will scare your pants off. Along the way, with your hosts, you'll be setting up camp in some of the scariest places they can find. Discover each episode a cryptid, a haunting, and a strange encounter. Climb aboard a cryptid camper if you're brave enough. Take it away, Shay. Live from our cryptid camper, I'm Shay, and I'm here with my good friend Tom, and we'd like to thank you for joining us for Season 3, Episode 9 of Scare Your Pants Off, our American Road Trip. In today's episode, we've set up camp in Michigan. How are you doing, Tom? I am really, really good. How are you? Really, really good. And I'm not going to lie, Michigan was a little bit of a struggle, but I think I found a good haunt. How, how did you do with Michigan? Good. I had a lot of fun with both. Um, yeah, they were Michigan. It's um, I, I really like both uh, the, the cryptid and the strange encounter. Uh, Michigan was very interesting for its, uh, you know, strange encounters. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a good episode. Yeah, no, I do too, definitely. Um, you been up to anything fun, do anything good, or watch just, anything interesting? I work a lot, but I finished the season of Yellow Jackets. Oh my okay, God. so before we go, before we go any further, people, we've been talking about this, and you knew this was coming for weeks. There's going to be spoilers. If you haven't watched Yellow Jackets, you've been warned. We're going to talk about this. So if you're not current, skip ahead a little bit. But yeah. you've been warned. Yeah, so good. Oh my God, I I love the show. I, and I, you know, I was talking to somebody at work about this, like how much they just haven't even touched of this story. It's and we're two seasons in, they can do so much with this. I mean, it just, and God, how many holy shit moments this season, just like jaw on the floor or like, almost tough to watch just because the brutality of it, it just, oh my God. I, oh, yeah. I love this show. It's my favorite show right now on TV, I think. It's, uh, oh. The part where young Shauna beat up Lottie. Oh. How, did you, how did you feel about that? That was, was a lot, to, right? That was tough to watch. Yeah, that was a lot. That was, I mean, I get it. I get like, you know, oh, but that was, that was a brutal ass kicking. And uh, holy shit. Yeah, it was, it, that was a couple times where I like turned my head just to like, get a break from watching her fist hit her face or whatever. And just, cause it was just, yeah. oh my goodness. Uh, but I mean, oh God, I can't say enough good things about it. The young, um, I'm so bad. Uh, young Misty is so good. Yeah. She is what a good little actor she is. And just it's, I, 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 the casting all around from the young to the old is really, really good. Yeah. Van to now adult Van has been introduced in this season and it's, uh, she, the chick, uh, she was, can't hardly wait. I believe she was in and, and uh, she was most recently in servant as the, uh, yeah. 
the wife and she's great in it. And that's what I mean. They, they just introduced adult van a few episodes into the second season. I mean, they, there's so much they haven't touched it. I, Oh God, it's so good. I mean, and we just, the little things that you've got throughout the season that haven't been explored, like, like the area where Javi was staying that, um, the coach found and uh, there's just so much. How about, how about Javi? I know, I know. I actually, I obviously I felt bad for him and I felt bad for his brother. I did, but I Bob. genuinely felt, huh? God, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm I genuinely felt bad for, um, I can't remember her name. Um, the one who plays young Juliet Lewis, Natalie. Yeah, young, I young. felt. I I felt so, I felt so bad for her. Like it, cause I mean, ugh, I obviously I know she could have still helped, but that there was no helping him at that point. There was if if they felt like the woods decided, the woods decided. That was there was nothing she could have done, and I felt. I, I felt awful really for her and that was like messed up and um I'm I'm assuming because I don't recall seeing present day coach at all do you not yet I mean I we haven't but I who yeah no we have I I don't think we've seen no definitely not so why what are you thinking with that no, so I'm curious because we haven't seen him yet. Obviously, we haven't. I'm sure we haven't seen everybody yet. That's just what it is. Yeah. But I'm curious with their new "Let the Wood Decide How We Eat" kind of thing, and we haven't seen him, and he's really very against what they're doing. And and I get both sides of it. I, it's fucked up, but obviously, it they're gonna die if they don't do what they're doing. But in his mind, it's probably, well, wouldn't dying maybe be better? And, and, and in some cases, maybe it is, but where he's so against it, and I think he's going to present himself as a problem for them. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we might not see present day coach. I, I catch that, my drift. I have that feeling too. Plus, he's, you know, with the, the injury, you know, with the one leg, um, I feel like as we start to explore more of them, like hunting each other and stuff with the card game, you know, maybe that, like, we don't see adult, but then again, there's part of me that does he go and live in that cave by himself for a long periods of time and, and, uh, you know, and maybe he does survive when we haven't been introduced to him. I, I, I mean, that's what I love about the show. You, I could see it going so many different ways. Yeah. And um, as far as yeah, then the whole Javi and Natalie. I mean, if she and if she did save him, then she's dead. That's you know, that's yeah. her other option. You know what I mean? Even if she did, then they're gonna kill her and eat her. So I mean, it's uh, and how misty. Went with Lottie and you know when Lottie's starting to get better and Lottie's like I didn't want this what happened to Javi and she, you started this and you better shut your fucking mouth and basically goes down and says Lottie's pleased even though Lottie wanted no part of it so Misty kind of yeah. 
you know, stepping up. Young, God, I can't say enough good things about Young Misty. She's, I mean, they're all great. No. They're all great. She's though. so great. They, right. re- they really are. They did a great job picking all of them. And, and it's, it, and just kind of thinking about Javi again, it's so, obviously the way he went down, so he drowned, obviously, or like combination probably of froze to death or drown or whatever. Um, yeah. It's, he, that is probably a lot less violent, and we don't know, but we it's probably a lot less violent of a way that he would have gone down if they had to hunt him because it doesn't i it does it doesn't feel like it's uh it doesn't appear as though it's gonna be a gentle situation it's it's gonna be yeah. violent, it's gonna be bloody, and it's gonna be however they need to, whether you want them to or not so i I almost think by Natalie letting it be him, she she saved him from something possible far, far worse because it's like I said, they're they're desperate and they're scared and they're hungry and they're angry and that's and, that's not gonna end well for anybody who has to be hunted. Yeah, and how uh, would I love because it's true to life, that sort of how they're all can be sitting around talking and friendly with each other. But then if they get a hunt, they get into that mob mentality and and they're wild and they're screaming and they're chasing and and it's like this this angry but giddiness to them as they're hunting these people and it's which is true to life. I mean, there's we see it all the time on the news and stuff with the, like that mob mentality you know, when you see like fight break out and then others jump in and it's just like it's oh yeah so to that to your point yeah i don't think it's gonna it's gonna be a very gentle if they because it sounds like they have the choice because when like natalie remember uh got got the queen card shauna's like turn around and she was just gonna slice her throat and and natalie's like no you gotta you gotta look me in the eye and do it so it sounds like they've given them the choice whether they can run and be hunted or just take it peaceful like just get their throat cut right then and there i don't know but that's what it seemed like to me within because of that moment with natalie uh but who the fuck's not gonna try and pick be hunted because at least you have a shot where you know to get away and hide as opposed or something like the hobby especially if you're a after the whole hobby incident maybe something like that happens again you know so i think you're always going to pick that as opposed to just letting somebody slice your fucking throat without you know but it's oh, so good um and and we still don't know if they ate the baby right like i couldn't i i so was i, I left, like i don't think so i'm under the impression they didn't i read a couple of articles that said they that they didn't so it was uh it was all a fever dream according to a lot of these articles and i think they talked to the actual showrunners about this and stuff like that that it was all part of the fever dream and they did because i was not sure and i kept that was because a lot of times i'm up late watching shows i work nights um so that was the episode i kept falling asleep on and like i would see parts and parts and like and so uh, finally, when I when I got all the way through it in one sitting, I still wasn't a hundred percent, but I had the feeling that it was more of a dream. And then, according to these every article that I read, it, they did not actually eat her baby, which I'm kind of glad because that. And, and another thing too, because Coach was if you when they're eating the baby, Coach is there. 
eating the baby when they showed the clips of what Shauna thinks she sees. So, yep. and he, uh, that makes and, sense. so as we know, he's kind of against it, at least to this point of eating people. Um, so yeah, that's that. So I don't think that, and I was glad cause I'm just like, Oh God, how do you come back from that? You just ate a girl's baby. Like, how do you come back from that? No, you, yeah, I don't see, I don't see how, yeah, how you could, um, but it's, yeah, so, because it was weird, because obviously you woke, when she woke up, you knew it was a fever dream, and then they told her, but they, they, they did very good making you be like, mm, yeah, they did, but did you, and it's, oh. and it really is funny how little, we still know nothing, we know we have no information, we have, we have, like, little sprinklings of of what happened and we're two seasons in and I I'm I'm not irritated by how little I know I mean I guess I'm a little irritated with how much I how little I know but it's because I don't want to wait another year to find out but I'm totally I can't wait for the next season yeah and all all this we've already talked about we haven't even really touched about their adult stuff Elijah Wood being in the season, I mean, I loved his character, by the way. I mean, he's a he's kind of a creepy little dude anyway. He's an odd little fellow. And um, yep. it's and those piercing eyes of his that, uh, you know, it's, but great addition. He's, I did not, I was so back and forth with his character. Like I, like I trusted him and then I didn't trust him. And then I trusted him. Then I really, really didn't trust him. But then obviously, so he, he made it all right for all of them. Like he fixed, he, and so, so brilliantly and so bravely, he fixed everything and the balls on him. Holy crap. I love him. He was so so good. (laughs) He was so calm during that when he's, when he is, fixing all the problems it's just like killing people and he's just calm having conversations and just uh yeah so good so good yeah. fucking, fucking lottie with the 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 poison kombucha basically it's just like oh we gotta let the woods decide but that scene where they fucking all put on the masks Again, and yeah. that that gave me chills right there when they all just they all just pulled it over their face and looking at adult Shauna. I was like, because oh. it was so, it was so the changes in. So they went from they went from they were being friendly, then they got down to business, and then when they're drawing the cards, you can see almost like a fear and almost like a remorse at the same time for whoever they're going to have to hunt. But when it was time, a switch went off, and it was a subtle switch. But their faces went from "I'm so sorry to have to do this. I don't want to have to do this." To I'm "Gonna fucking do this." And it's it was it was just the most subtle change in their faces. But every one of them changed when they're putting on the masks, and you could see it in Shauna's face, like "Shit, we're doing this. You're you're not serious, yeah, right?" And it, it was part of her plan, like just to kind of fake it, fake a hunt and everything, and then all of a sudden. When they pull the mat, she was like, you like you said that switch in her eye, like, oh fuck, they're they're all of a sudden for real. Even they were like, I guess this isn't our plan anymore. To <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, oh that. So and then, go ahead. Very obviously has like Wendigo vibes mm-hmm. to it. 
So yes. I can't help but wonder if she didn't draw that card, if it was someone else that drew the card, if she would have had the same switch go off that the other ones did or not, or if she would have remained like a voice of reason. Like, why are we doing this? I, I almost feel like the switch would have gone off for her. And then it's. I do too. Yeah. I, it's, I'm so intrigued. And, and I, I, in the first season, I didn't really care much for the daughter, for Shauna's daughter. Yeah. And I was like, all right. Um, but I, I'm, I'm liking her more and more when I let her, yeah, uh, a little, a uh, little bit of really badassness is coming out. I, I, I really like her. So. Yeah, I didn't like her even the first couple episodes of this season when she was just angsty, you know, against her mom and and stuff. And but then as she's learning what's happening and becomes involved in it, it's like, oh, it, no, actually, she's pretty badass. And then, yeah, God, just that final sort of scene with the fire. And it just, like, that was everything for me. Like, just watching and just being, like, oh, the devastation on all their faces, being like, okay, this is, I mean, we're in shitty, you know, how could things get worse? Oh, wait, they did. You know, they're already in the woods, but luckily they had a cabin. They had shelter, you know, to help them. It's like, oh, it, I thought that was just perfect, how they did that and just the going floor just to to build your anticipation going like i saw yeah. that and i was just like oh i can't wait i can't believe i have to wait a year now and like hopefully they do like you were talking about that like uh, a special sort of standalone or something episode um just because it's gonna be a long time <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, it's gonna be hard i'm i'm curious to see how they're gonna do without natalie without juliette lewis because yeah. i that's gonna be that's a big hole to fill she was i mean and it's funny because she had she had a major arc in like two episodes like a major huge yeah. character arc and you always love her but like she she did a complete turnaround in just a matter of like an episode and a half even and it was because i mean because she proved that you know it, it's she can she can love someone yeah. else we can for someone else and it was it was really kind of cool to see obviously it sucks and it's oh man it broke my heart that it was misty to yeah it was an accident obviously but it's that was that was yeah. heartbreaking really because she was. loved uh, her so much oh she did i i was bummed because i loved juliette lewis and like you said she had like one of the most important story arcs coming out of season one it was you know because at the end of season one she's about to kill herself and boom, they break in, and then you don't know where she, what happened to her, and you know, is who kidnapped her? You kind of had an idea because they said something about uh, Lottie, and um, but other than that, you didn't know she. So she was one of the most important as far as the adult versions of them go. So to see her go, I mean, it's I get it, and it's it it you know it it, help, it makes sense in the story but it makes me sad because i love julia lewis i really do i always have and uh yeah but oh what a good show oh man yep. so fucking good all right well i feel like our episode of the yellow jacket show um has <laughs> <laughs> been very very intriguing but um how do, you, how do you feel about jumping into your cryptid? Time for the cryptid. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. 
So, Michigan was very fun, like they all are. And, you know, they have their Bigfoots, their Thunderbirds, and their, you know, their water creatures, their Nessies, or whatever, or Chessies. Um, but I went with one I had never heard of. You may have or may not, but uh, have you heard of the Nain Rouge? Nope, that one, no, doesn't even ring a bell, to be honest with you. Yeah, I had never heard of this one, but there's parts of the story that I just love. So, Nain Rouge is, in French means, the Red Dwarf. And is also sometimes called the Demon of the Strait. And it's a legendary cryptid of the Detroit, Michigan area. His... Appearance is said to foreshadow pain and misfortune. Its origins are said to be an amalgam of the Norman French tales of hobgoblins and the Native American legends of the impish offsprings of the stone god. According to accounts, the Nain Rouge is a small creature with red or black fur covering its body, but with the face of an old man and with blazing red eyes and rotten teeth. Or, according to Marie Watson Hamlin's 1883 account in the book Legends of Lady Detroit, it is, a, it is a dwarf with a very red face with a bright glistening eye. Instead of burning, it froze. Instead of possessing depth, it emitted cold gleam like a reflection from a polished surface, bewildering and dazzling all who came within its focus, and a grinning mouth displaying sharp pointed teeth completed this face. I love how people talk back in the day. <laughs> so, so verbose and just over just too many words. <laughs> uh, the earliest uh, account of an encounter with the Nain Rouge supposedly happened 180 years prior to Hamlin's 1883 description in Legends of Lady Troy. So that would put it right in the early 1700s. Supposedly, Detroit's founder, Antoine de la Moeth de uh, Cadillac, was told by a fortune teller to appease the Nain Rouge. But upon encountering the creature, he smacked it with his cane and shouted, Get out of my way, you red imp. <laughs> As a consequence, and remember, I said earlier, sighting of the creature foretells misfortune, bad luck, pain, etc. A string of bad luck befell Cadillac. Uh, he was charged with abuse of power and reassigned to Louisiana. Later, he would return to France, where he was imprisoned briefly, and eventually lost all of his fortune. And he was quite the rich man. The Nain Rouge, and remember I said it's, you know, spotted, you know, usually foreshadows, you know, something bad. So the Nain Rouge was spotted before the Battle of the Bloody Run in 1703, where 58 British soldiers were killed. He was all, it was also seen just prior to the surrender of Detroit during the War, War of 1812. Uh, it was spotted before the 1967 riots in Detroit, 
and again before a crazy, deadly, very deadly ice storm that happened in the 1970s in Detroit. So, getting into the little, some of the fun stuff or stuff that I really liked about this. Each spring, Detroit holds a costumed community parade called the Marche de, du Noon Rage, Rouge, in which the creature is symbolically chased out of the city. The, the parade takes place within the Midtown Cascada neighborhoods. And at the conclusion of the event, an effigy of the name Rouge is destroyed, thus banishing the evil spirit from the city for another year. Participants of the parade and spectators are encouraged to wear different costumes each year so that when the Nain Rouge next returns, he will not recognize the persons who ousted them from the previous year, and thus he will not be able to seek his vengeance. At the parade, organizations calling themselves the Friends of the Nain Rouge and we are Nain Rouge, lightheartedly protest the banishment parade with their own parade and argue that the Nain Rouge is not to blame for the city's ills. And considering Detroit's population loss, no one should be banned from the city, especially those that have been there the longest, like the Nain Rouge. They get, and they get about 5,000 revelers each year, and even the mayor spoke at the 2014 celebration. And just two little, little things. It actually has a beer and a red wine named after it. That is the name, Rouge. So, love that there's a beer and wine named after it. I love when they do that stuff. I, I love, we've had other states that they've had. Mm -hmm. They've really embraced the whole, their whole cryptid thing in it. And I freaking love it because that's what, that's what you should do. That's why some of these states have all of these sightings and all of these encounters. And then other states are like, well, we saw it once here and once 30 years later, but they ran away from us because you shot at it. Probably. Yep. <laughs> so I, I love that they're fighting for basically it's, it's Detroit citizenship. I, I love that they... I, I, I love that they embrace it. I like that they're treating it like you should treat something <laughs> that we don't know everything about. You treat it with respect and you treat it, you know, you just you just be decent to it. And I like the people that don't maybe pay for it because that's how it should be. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I thought I really that was... Like, oh, sorry. I really like to, one thing that you said about the parade is that they have to wear a different costume every year. I love that because that means you can't be lazy. You have to be creative, and I, I friggin' love that. I, I would, oh man, I would start my costume preparations the day after the parade, because that's friggin' awesome. I love it. Yeah, that. I mean, I picked it because it was interesting, and I had never heard of it. But a big reason was the parades. And I was like, oh, Shay's going to love this. And, uh, and the fact that the, the counter parade and just, but it's supposedly just a big party. They, you know, over 5,000 5, people just having a good time and just, you know, it's, it's, uh, I was like, oh, that is so awesome that they do 
a a counter parade to a parade. <laughs> it just uh, yeah. it was uh, so much fun. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a good choice. It was a really good choice. Um, definitely up there with my favorites that we've done. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, you got anything else on you cryptid for me? Nope, that's what I got. <laughs> All right, I'm going to dive on into our haunt. Time for the haunt. So, like I said, my haunt is short, but it's super interesting. There's I, there's no shortage of haunted things or haunted places in Michigan. It's really the information that I had a hard time coming by and having it be super consistent or with much detail. So, while I don't have a lot of detail, this is the most consistent one that I found. And I really, really kind of absolutely love one of the ghosts that is thought to be at this place. So nice. I'm going to talk about, right? I'm going to talk about the Szechua Point Lighthouse. Have you ever heard of that? No, never. So for anybody who's going to want to maybe Google this after, it is called the Szechua Point Lighthouse, but it is actually spelled S-E-U-L-C-H-O-I-X. Sejua, but it does not look like Sejua. So if you're not privy to that beforehand, you might have a little bit of a difficulty, but that is how you spell it. Um, it stands at about 79 feet. I've seen anywhere from 75 to 82. So it's somewhere in there. Obviously, who knows? But um, <laughs> it was the first lighthouse in Michigan. Uh, it's been operational since 1895. And it was staffed until 1973 when it became fully automated, which is sad, but I, I do understand that. But, you know, mm -hmm. um, yep. Now, there is a lighthouse keeper, and some accounts say that it might have been the first lighthouse keeper, but also I've seen things maybe contradicting that he was the first and maybe just one of the ones that followed after the first. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but his name was William Townsend. And he's said to have passed away in the residence in an upstairs bedroom. Now, one thing that was kind of struck me as a little odd, but again, things were a lot different back then. So the practices were a lot different that, back then. But it actually says that he may have been embalmed in the lighthouse. Hmm. Strange. Right? Kind of intriguing. Yeah, very strange. Um, now, he has been seen... 13 times 13 and they counted this and it's funny because when you listen listen to different interviews and read different things and watch different interviews with some of the people that have been there or even like are still working there um they're very detailed and they keep a very good account of a lot of this stuff so it's really kind of cool um but 13 different times usually in an upstairs bedroom in a mirror his face appears when mm -hmm. someone else is looking in the mirror which is super creepy but it's yeah. really, honestly, the creepiest thing about about um, Mr. Townsend because oh. nothing else about him seems creepy. It just seems kind of, you know, light and fun or whatever. Um, now, he does two things. One thing he does is if he sees, like, a fully set up dinner table with the silverware laid out and the dishes there and everything like that, he likes to move the silverware. Um, and, <laughs> right? Now... Another thing that he does, it is believed that in life, his wife did not let him smoke 
inside. He had to smoke outside. She didn't like the smell. She didn't want ash all over the place or the the smoke on the walls or anything like that. So now in his afterlife, you smell cigar smoke all over the place. So he is he is like for lack of a better term, living it up. He's smoking wherever the hell he wants and and no one can say anything to him about it because what are you gonna do? It's not gonna harm you, it's not gonna hurt you, it's fake, it's it's ghost smoke, so whatever. Um, but yeah, he his cigars can be smelt throughout the lighthouse now all the time. Um, now, <laughs> now another thing is there have been numerous shipwrecks in Lake Michigan, and it's thought to believe that one way or another, live or dead, that sailors of shipwrecks would find their way to the shore uh, by the lighthouse. And again, it's the apparitions and shadows have been seen. You can hear uh, footsteps and and murmurs, almost like something is going out there and it's believed that that has something to do with it. Now, back to Townsend, one kind of really neat uh, experience that a visitor had was they were staying there with their family. It was a husband and wife and either two or three children, I'm not 100% sure, but they were staying there and they came downstairs one morning, I believe for breakfast. And it was the father and the children were to follow. And, and one of the people that worked there said, oh, where's where's your wife this morning? And he looked back and didn't see her. No, oh, she was right behind me or whatever. And I uh, didn't know where she went. Asked the kids and they didn't know where their mom went. And they got a little panicked or whatever. But a couple seconds later, she finally shows back up downstairs. She makes her way the rest of the way down. And she's a, a little out of breath and kind of excited. But and, and she kind of bursts, bursts, bursts. She kind of blurts out, <laughs> she kind of blurts out that your ghost just saved my life. And, you know, they asked, you know, what she was talking about or what happened. And when she explained it, uh, coming down the stairs with her family, she lost her footing and she almost fell. And it sounds to me like she almost fell over the side, but I'm not 100% sure. But given that they weren't even close to ground level, it sounds uh, that probably would have been a pretty detrimental fall and probably not have survived it. But as she fell forward, she felt something grab her by the sides with force and pull her back to a sitting position on the stairs, thus saving her life. She caught her breath for a second and then looked back and there was no one, no one to thank for saving her life. That's uh, when she, Right? Now, when she told the people who worked there this, they confirmed that there is no one else staying there right now they were the last family to be staying there and there was no one else that could have possibly done that for her could have been behind her and they believe it probably was mr townsend when she lifted up the sides of her shirt to kind of show she had finger marks on both sides showing it probably took some force to pull her back because obviously all your body weight's falling forward it's going to take a little force but um there was evidence of him grabbing her to pull her back to safety on uh, on her physical body. So, wow. Yeah. Now, one cool fact about this lighthouse is it's built uh, largely on or around limestone. Limestone is thought to be one of the best paranormally conducting um, minerals or rocks, whatever you want to call it, uh, no, it's, it's highly conductive and it's, 
it, it could be a big part of the reason why this place is so very active and it remains so very active to this day and has been for a very long time. But uh, that's what I have for the Sejuai Lighthouse. Ooh, wow, I loved it. And um, yeah, so I didn't know that about limestone. So that's really interesting. I'm gonna look that up later because I did not know that. Um, I love a good haunted lighthouses, which I feel like probably like 99% of all the lighthouses are haunted. It just, I don't know. It just, they, it's, um, and I, I love it. I, I almost picked one uh, last week when I was doing the haunt. I almost did a lighthouse. Um, Cause they do, they're just, they're, they're, it's just a creepiness, a, a Scooby-Doo-ness to a haunted lighthouse. Yep. And uh, I just love that. Getting embalmed in a lighthouse is very, very strange. If that did supposedly happen, that's a, that's a very strange thing to happen. Um, and that was something that I saw in multiple sources saying that he was embalmed there. So it's, uh, I don't know, practices were way different back then. Obviously, who, who knows? But that is a super odd thing. Yeah. To bring up the stuff out there to do that and to, yeah it seemed very strange to me i love that he appears in mirrors a la bloody mary style type um you know it's it's very very uh creepy but fun just sort of like the silverware but my favorite part of is, as far as what he does is the cigar smoke i've said it here before smells very it's very powerful for me uh personally it's like i smell certain things and i get transported to a place or time or that uh you know uh, like my elementary school or something from a smell so i love that you can smell uh supposedly smell cigar uh smoke the shipwrecks obviously that makes sense that if they did make it to the shore or even near the shore um you know that there would be some some sort of overflow of of uh you know spirits there um so the one where she's almost falls down the stairs now that's re i really like that because like you said if she so if she goes over the side that could be potentially deadly she goes forward she's taken out the family because uh, according to what you said because she's behind right there's the father in the front then the kids and then her so that could have been really really bad you know if she starts to take them out like you said who knows how what stairwell they were on and as is, is you know is, is it really long is it is it a spiral and like takes them out and you know you hit your your neck or head the wrong way and that could be you know snap your neck and die uh, you know or a kid could die so i thought that was cool and then the the evidence of it with the fingerprints I, which i know as soon as you start explaining it i remember i i knew exactly because i've had it before getting slapped on the back and having the person's literal fingerprints in my back like or or like the whole handprint in the back where um so I thought that was really cool. And from a family. So it's like, I feel like that adds a little more or validity or it may be, be less likely to lie because you got children there. And why would you want to upset children and, you know, your whole family 
like that. So um, I thought that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I mean, it, that what you like you had prefaced earlier that it wasn't long, but I thought that was super, super interesting. I loved it. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I like I said, I enjoyed it too. It was short, but I really, I really enjoyed it. It was, it's a fun story. Um, but oh, thank you. All right. Uh, do you want to jump on into your strange encounter? Time for the strange encounter. Yeah. So, uh, I have the strange encounter, and I didn't realize how many, it like super important, uh. UFO strange encounters happened within Michigan. It's a fairly active state, but the importance of some of these um, can't be overstated, really. So originally, I was going with this one that happened in 1984. Uh, super interesting. Um, and a bunch of witnesses over a longer, a, a long-ish period of time, because you guys know that some of these happen within seconds and then that's it and uh i was researching it super interesting and as i'm researching it i'm like this feels familiar this feels super familiar this story well it turns out the most recent iteration of unsolved mysteries on netflix had a whole episode on the 1984 one so i ended up scrapping that just because guys you can go watch that and then you know do it and i'd rather pick one that you know is you know, had that happened 20 years ago on Unsolved Mysteries, yeah, maybe I would have picked it. But the fact that it happened a year ago on Unsolved Mysteries, I was like, eh. Um, so I went with uh, the strange encounter that happened on March 20th, 1966 in Dexter Township, Michigan. And this one, it says, it goes, uh, at about 8.30 p.m. on March 20th, 1966, Colored lights hovering over a wooded ear, a wooded swamp, caught the attention of Frank Manor and his son Ronald on the farm where they live. Curious as to what it may have been, they both ran towards the object. Now, that's probably not your smartest reaction, guys. If you're not sure which uh, you know, to run, maybe, maybe proceed with caution, but not run. Um, Yep. But, <laughs> but they got caught up in the excitement. Um, so they would contact the police and report the sighting shortly thereafter. And the police report states that Frank Manor and his son Ronald, plus 40 to 60 others, including 12 policemen, saw hovering over a swamp about 1,500 feet away, a brown, luminous, car-sized object with a scaly or waffled surface, cone-shaped on the top, flat on the bottom, or football-shaped, and two bluish-green lights on the left and right edges that turned bright red and helped illuminate the object in between. Lights would then blink out, and then the ob object reappeared 1,500 feet away. The whole object lit up with a yellowish glow at one point and also rose up 500 feet, then descended again 
After two to three minutes of viewing, when two flashlights appeared in the distance, the object seemed to respond by flying away at a high speed directly over the witnesses with a whistling sound like a, a rifle bullet ricocheting. Object remained in swamp area for half hour. That is a verbatim of that, the, the official police report from this incident. Um, many other credible eyewitnesses also saw the flying object that night. This sighting was actually just one of many in southeast Michigan for, for, for these two weeks in March of 1966. However, the Dexter incident drew national attention and was a turning point that thrust UFOs into the national spotlight. At the, time, at the time, the U.S. Air Force was in charge of investigating anomalous aerial phenomenon under the Project Blue Book program. So, on March 23rd, a few days after the sighting, the Air Force sent in astrophysicist Dr. J. Allen Hynek to investigate the matter. Dr. Hynek would later describe an air of near hysteria in the township and neighboring area. After investigating for two whole days, and yes, I'm being sarcastic there, it, but it was two whole days, on March 25th, Dr. Hynek abruptly announced the unidentified flying object had been identified. He declared the phenomena as swamp gas or marsh gas, as it is sometimes known. And this obviously caused an outcry from eyewitnesses and those following the story around the country. Races Mansky actually wrote a book called Swamp Gas, My Ass in response to this explanation. And in it, he would detail why it made no, no sense. So real quick, guys, swamp gas, just because yeah, I wasn't 100% sure what swamp gas was, is a mixture of primarily methane and smaller amounts of hydrogen sulfide, carbon dioxide, and trace phosphine that is produced naturally in swamps, marshes, and bogs. This, uh, this mixture creates different colored lights above the swamp or marsh's surface. So... In his book, he also goes on to detail how the Air Force's explanation also had negative effects on the Manor family. They were victims of vandalism, broken windows, trash on their yard, people trespassing. At one point, people were just like walking all on their roof of their house for some reason and, um, you know, harassing them, yada, yada. So, um, and then he also went on to detail or stress that this incident was not a case of just some rednecks or yahoos running through the swamp searching for lights, but rather it was, you know, there, these were respectable citizens. And actually, an on-duty police officer, Robert Hunnewell, from the Dexter PD, heard the reports over his radio, so he went home and picked up his wife so she could be, he could actually have another witness uh, to this. 
and they drove out to the north end of Quigley and Brand Roads to get a better look. When they first got there, the object was no longer in sight. Um, however, the object would soon suddenly appear about a thousand feet over the top of his car. There were four lights in all. It did a little spin over the top of the manor's woods and then took off. He said, again, he said it was no more than no more than five, a thousand feet above his car. Um, so, so again, another, you know, this is an on-duty on police officer, pretty respectable member of the community to witness this. So going back to the response from the Air Force, um, this response drew national outrage. And actually, Walter Cronkite and then Congressman, and that um, he would be a future president, Gerald Ford, called for an investigation, an official investigation. And um, so Congress would then put Edward Condon in charge of the investigation. And Condon, in his, which would become known as the Condon Report, uh, he would go on to question the Secretary of the Air Force, uh, one Major Quintilla, or Quintilla. He would also interview Dr. Hynek, and then it just says a few other people. Uh, and then it, the Condon Report concluded that these crafts did not did not demonstrate any technology beyond our own. Well, we'll see why that may not have been true shortly. And not long after, uh, Project Blue Book would actually be officially abandoned. And the military still would investigate UFOs just privately, sort of secretly no, uh, now, not, not under this big Project Blue Book program. So why the cover-up then? According to Szymanski in his book, Swamp Gas, My Ass, it's because the Air Force had questions they couldn't answer. The, and it, even though they said, like I said previously, that it did not demonstrate any technology beyond our own, it clearly did because these objects had cloaking capabilities that we didn't understand at the time. Now we have some cloaking capabilities at this point, but th again, this was 1966. Um, they, uh, they approximated that the, um, the craft could go over 25,000 miles per hour. Cause that goes back to where it, the light blinked out. And then all of a sudden it was across the lake essentially. Um, so at that time, uh, no, Aircrafts could go 25 miles, 25,000 miles per hour. Uh, they could make 90 degree turns without slowing. They had propulsion we didn't understand, being able to go straight up like that without having to do like a normal takeoff that we know airplanes do. And, and this is, this, you know, what's supposedly scared them the most uh, was that these, this UFO were able to shut down our weapon systems so how could they you know it's the air force how how are they going to be able to defend us if necessary if they can just shut down our our weapon systems again that's according to Zesmanski in his book and that is what i have for the strange encounter all right a couple of things so 
it's cover-ups are they're messed up they're just honestly it's messed up to treat people that way like they're that stupid and it's you have you said 40 plus people now including the the 12 police officers correct yeah, 40, 40, plus to 60, 40 to 60, including 12 police officers. So these are people that have lived in the area for long enough that they probably know what swamp gas looks like, correct? I would I, I would assume, <laughs> yep. At least some of them. So yeah. it, it baffles me that they would, that first of all, that they would go there. Like, if you're going to cover it up, do better than that. That's it's yeah. awful that's not you're you're genuinely calling this group of people stupid because it and why because you can't figure something out because because the air force doesn't know how to explain it you know what then join us join us feel kind of confused with us don't shun us don't don't put yourself in a different spot than us and just make us you know feel or try to make us feel stupid. Join us in our confusion and let's figure it out together. Like, don't ugh, that irritates the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Now, thirty minutes. I love, I love when a strange encounter lasts for more than thirty minutes. Like one of any of the ones that we do that lasts anything longer than a couple seconds, which most of them are like a couple seconds or maybe a couple minutes if you're lucky. But you have these twenty, thirty, forty. 50 plus minute ones sometimes on a rare occasion and it's so cool because you just think of how think of how long a minute feels when you're in a situation like that and mm-hmm. now in this case you have 30 minutes your brain is taking in so much stuff you are seeing so many things so it's and, and again it makes it makes the giving us a, giving people a stupid reason about it all that much worse but um yeah, I, I'm honestly great choice. I've never heard of it. Awesome choice, and that was super intriguing and a great amount of detail. Yeah, that's why I I had never heard of it. And and as I'm doing it, like I said, originally I went with the other one, but um, I'm like, wow, this one's really cool. Ton of detail. I'd be to the point where, like, when do you have a strange encounter where you're name dropping Walter Cronkite and Gerald Ford? I mean, yeah. they and they even were like swamp gas. That makes no sense. I um, it was just yeah, it was fun and very like I didn't realize like Project Blue Book was disbanded essentially because of this and pro- and we know I think it's still kind of a thing Project Blue Book though and um it's yeah it just. Uh, I was fascinated by it. I, I, like you said, I love when we find one that takes place over a, a long period of time with a ton of detail because they all, a lot or most don't, you know, it's, it's, guys, I'm going to let you in. It gets, it, these strange encounters can be tough because, and uh, when we're researching them, because we're trying to find something that gives you guys a good story and not all of them are. Sometimes it's just, oh, there was a light in the sky and there was a bang and, and that's cool but it makes for a very short story so it was yeah this one was i just had a lot of a lot of fun with it and uh yeah that book swamp gas my ass love that (laughs) love the title i also noticed if for anybody interested 
I literally just typed it into Google and there are tons of YouTube interviews with different people who have had an experience with us. And it's, it, it's a lot of stuff to look into. So if you want to do a deeper dive, um, I, I suggest either popping it into Google or popping it into um, uh, YouTube and literally type in swamp gas my ass. And there are, there are live interviews and it's really kind of neat, honestly. So if anybody wanting to go further into this, check it out. Yeah, seriously, I'm going to go watch some of those videos later. <laughs> yeah. Same. Well, have you got anything else for me today? I do not. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us. And be sure to tune in next week when we set up camp in Ohio. Until then, happy camping. Thanks, guys. As always, our hosts would like to thank you for joining if you enjoyed the program, please be sure to like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Find us on Instagram at ScareYourPantsOffPod, no spaces, or on Twitter, ScareYourPantsOffPodcast. Or send us an email with questions, comments, and fan art to ScareYourPantsOff9 at Gmail. See you next time.